Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. From the archive of Dr. Jonathan Willett, this is a recording made in September 2010 of Willett talking to a 17-year-old Charles Dexter Ward. What do you know about my grandfather? Well, I don't think I know My real grandfather, I mean. The real one? Joseph Kerwin. You mentioned this name before. Yep, my mother lied to me. And why would she do that? Joseph Kerwin was a great man. How do you know that? I've been doing some research. I see. And what have you found? Miss Sayers says he was a great man. This is episode three of The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. If you're just joining us, I'd advise you to start at episode one and work your way through. Still here? Okay then. I'm Matthew Hayward, and this is The Mystery Machine. Is that? That's Barbara Sayers' house. This was the home of Barbara Sayers, ex-school librarian, ex-tutor to Charles Dexter Ward, and the likely recipient of a collection of mysterious letters that Charles Ward had discovered as a young man in a derelict house in Providence. Miss Sayers was most certainly becoming a person of interest in our investigation. But now it looked like that particular strand of the story had come to an abrupt halt. Until... She's not dead. Kennedy Fisher had stayed on that street for most of the night, but by late the following day... They've been through the wreckage, the fire department, and they say there was no one there. Do they have any idea how the fire started? If they do, they're not sharing that information with random podcasters. Well, what about the neighbours? I they... talked to the neighbours. No one saw her leave yesterday. But she's definitely not in the house, which makes me think... I think we need to be careful not to jump to conclusions. I think that's easy to say from halfway across the Atlantic. I'm actually all the way across the Atlantic. Okay, well, from right here on the spot, this feels super weird and way more than a coincidence. Oh, it's also a dead end. Well, I'm not sure. We were talking about that. Who's we? George Shepley, the... Boyfriend. Librarian. You're an asshole. If Barbara Sayers did disappear deliberately, then it shows we're on the right track. And if she didn't? Then someone burned down her house and we're still on the right track. Unless she went away and left something dodgy plugged in. Okay, but let's not proceed on that basis, huh? So we decided that Kennedy, and maybe this George Shepley character, who seemed to be becoming quite involved, would keep going on the background of Charles Dexter Ward. We still weren't clear on the timeline that led to Charles Ward being locked up in a psychiatric facility, nor did we have any clue as to how these events might have contributed towards Dr Willett coming to England and murdering Lucy Hawthorne. Meanwhile, we wanted more background on Barbara Sayers. She seemed to be a key player in the story, and yet we knew very little about her. Hello? Uh, hi, is that Mrs Tolbert? Hello? Is that Melissa Tolbert? Oh. There are far too many Barbara Sayers in the world for an internet search to be of much use, but a call to the school she used to work at, the one Charles Ward attended, yielded a result. On Barbara Sayers' personnel file, she'd listed a next of kin, her sister Melissa, who lived up in Vermont. Luckily for us, Melissa hadn't moved in the intervening years, and so I was able to track down a number for her. I explained that we were investigating Charles Dexter Ward's disappearance. I'm afraid I don't know who that is. And that her sister had been his tutor. I haven't spoken to my sister, so going on 40 years. She told me that they'd grown up together. Melissa was a year older than Barbara. She said Barbara was always the clever one. Always with a nose in a book. Doesn't matter what it was. Someone stuck pages together. Barbara would read it. 
Melissa got married straight out of high school to an army engineer named Bruce Talbot and his work took the couple off all around the world. Bruce died in 2003 and Melissa moved up to Vermont. But it wasn't the army's fault I lost touch with Bob. That was all on her. She was the big college hope of our family on account of all that reading, but instead she took off after that fella down in Rhode Island. Our mother was distraught. What fella would that be? Oh, I don't recall his name. I never set eyes on the man, some kind of religious nut. I, not that I'm against religion, you understand, but, but you take any good idea, and there's going to be some people that take the whole thing too far. Bob fell head over heels for this guy, and she used to write me these letters about how amazing and clever he was. Total fooey. He had her by the short hairs, as my husband used to say. And of course, you know it was all fooey, because soon enough I get a letter telling me she can't write no more on account of me being an outsider. And this Joseph... Oh, Joseph? Oh, yeah, that was his name. This Joseph doesn't want members of his cult, or whatever they like to call it, to be polluted by the opinions of unbelievers. His name was Joseph? Yeah, Joseph, that's right. Joseph Kerwin? That's the fella. Kerwin. What kind of name is that, anyway? I never could figure that out. Well, so all that went badly wrong when the FBI or whoever got involved, and the last I heard of Barbara, she was off to England. She sent a Christmas card with a London postmark, and that would have been, I think, 1985 or maybe 86. And you haven't heard from her at all since then? Not a whisper. I don't know where she is, what her life is. I couldn't even tell you if my sister is alive or dead. Well, we're pretty sure she's alive somewhere. Well, if you're looking for her, I hope you find her safe and well, but please don't pass on my number. We've gone this long without speaking. I don't see as how getting together now would be a good idea. Joseph Kerwin's coming up a lot here. He really is. Kennedy was back in the UK for a few days, and so we'd got together in our regular hangout across the road from the studio. So where do we have him? We have the letters to Barbara Sayers. Right, and it sounds like she was a member of this cult he set up in Rhode Island. Okay, so I've followed up on what your friend, George Shepley, said about that. They called themselves the Soldiers of Ipkuaya, apparently after some character from Mesopotamian folklore. They had a place out near the coast, a house... And at some point, the FBI and the ATF took an interest, and that led to a siege. Joseph Kerwin died. Either he got shot or he killed himself. And I guess if Barbara Sayers was there, she managed to get out. Well, there's no record of her having been arrested. Right. So we have no way of knowing. Wait, you mean on her record or...? I mean on the arrest reports from the siege. You found arrest reports? Yeah. There's a guy in the records office at the police department who was I bearing the lead. Oh, my God. What did you find? You got headphones? I'll play it to you. I've come to the city of Warwick, which is about 12 miles outside of downtown Providence. It's another old town, dating from the 1600s, and it's a lot quieter and a lot slower than Providence. The arrest reports from the siege got me nowhere in terms of tracking down the actual soldiers of Ipkuai of cult members. You're the lady from the radio there. But there was another name on those reports. The arresting officer. Ezra Whedon? I'm Kennedy Fisher. Ezra is in his 70s now and retired. But back in 1980, he was a detective with the Providence Police Department. You want to come in? 
You like coffee? I love coffee. I'm not talking about that flavored hazelnut bullshit you people drink now. What I have here is real cop coffee. Keep you up for days. You think you can handle that? So long as I can get it iced with a splash of almond milk. Oh, you're yanking my chain. You and I are going to get along just fine. (laughs) Ezra lives alone now. His wife died a few years ago. His house is small, but he keeps it neat and tidy. His police medal and citations are framed on the wall alongside pictures of his grandchildren, who live in Pennsylvania with their mom, Ezra's daughter, a lecturer at Carnegie Mellon. The coffee was exactly as strong as Ezra said it would be. It was like drinking rocket fuel. I asked him about the siege back in 1980. Wow, that was a long time ago. What's got you looking into that? Well, we're actually investigating the disappearance of a guy called Charles Dexter Ward. Ah, Ward, yeah. You know the case? I read the local papers. I like the weird stuff. I always did. Well, we're looking into what might have happened there, and there seems to be a connection to Joseph Kerwin. What kind of connection? Well, it's early days, so... Oh, you don't want to tell me? That's okay. I understand. I don't remember anything about the siege. You don't? But you said on the phone... Don't remember what I said. Must be age. Charles Dexter Ward seemed to believe that Joseph Kerwin was his grandfather. That's not enough to get you knocking on my door. Ward's tutor was a woman called Barbara Sayers. We believe that Barbara Sayers had been in a relationship with Joseph Kerwin and that she was one of his acolytes. Well, that seems like a coincidence, doesn't it? If you believe in coincidences. (laughs) Well, now I think I may remember that siege you're talking about. There's a thing. The mind plays tricks at my age. Well, let me jog your memory. Your name is on the arrest reports, which actually I'm confused about because I thought it was an FBI or ATF thing. ATF, mainly. So how come the arrest reports were filled out by... Okay, so how these things work. The feds are here like the big guns. They want the glory. They don't want to do the work. They take the big guy alive, sure, they'll do that paperwork and take the credit. But if you pinheads looking at firearms or narco charges, they hand that shit off to local PD. Okay, but you were there at the siege. Uh, if you can call it that, yeah, I was there. What would you call it? Okay. You knocked on the right door today. I haven't talked about this before because, well, at the time they shut the whole thing down. And opening my mouth would have meant my job. But I guess now I'm retired and no one who was there is still around, so who gives a shit what I say? And you're the first person in maybe 20 years who's asked the question. So, how it went down? You got some people holed up in this old house in Pawtuxet. Probably they're mostly minding their own business. But some local people have started making complaints about their behavior. Toing and froing and noise and intimidation and whatnot. So a couple of uniforms get sent down out of Cranston, and they knock on the door. And all they're going to do is inform the folks there that there's been a complaint. Take a look around. Make sure nothing untoward is going on. Everyone knows these guys are religious or whatever of some stripe, and chances are they're harmless. But you want to kick up a little dust. Make sure they don't have kids in there or whatever, like it might be a welfare problem or any kind of abuse is going on. So that's all there was to it. 
But when these two uniforms knock on the door, they get fired upon. And someone shoots the shit out of their patrol car with an assault rifle. Wow. So now this goes from being a thing that just needed to be checked out to being a house full of religious lunatics shooting at cops. So the next thing that happens is the ATF and the FBI have to put their dicks on the table and see who's his biggest. If anyone's being held against their will, that's a kidnapping and it's an FBI show. But there's no evidence that's the case, so the FBI have to hit the bench. And it's ATF steel, because there's firearms. But ATF is always going to call the local PD for assistance. We used to refer to it as human shields. Cranston PD aren't up for the job, despite their guys being there at the start of it, because their chief is a big sissy. So it gets kicked up to my chief in Providence. Which means me and my buddies find ourselves shipping out to get shot at in the ass end of nowhere. I'll spare you the details that Ezra could not be persuaded to spare me. ATF ran the raid, and their guys were the first through the door, along with the SWAT team from Providence. Ezra wasn't in the thick of it. He and his partner were stationed at a roadblock on the perimeter to pick up anyone who tried to flee. Except no one tried to get out by road, because they had the tunnels, which no one knew about. Ezra said there were tunnels underneath the house. Yeah, we didn't discover those tunnels until after we took the house. They probably weren't dug by Kerwin's people. It's more likely they were way older, and to do with pirates and smugglers operating in the area a century or more before. But Kerwin's people knew about them, and that's how most of them, including presumably Barbara Sayers, got out and evaded capture. So how long did this thing last? Oh, it was pretty fast was one of those days-long things like the Branch Davidians, or that's why no one really knows about it. The whole thing's over and done in maybe an hour or two, which means there's no time to get news cameras down there, no drama to build up. That's why I say it wasn't really a siege. Some people in a house. We go to the house, there's an exchange of gunfire, and then we prevailed. And was Joseph Kerwin killed, or did he take his own life? Well, now you see, there's the thing of it. Because I read the official report, and that said there was an exchange of gunfire, Joseph Kerwin was killed, ATF agents went in there and swept the place, recovered some firearms and narcotics, and that was the end of it. Okay. Well, that's not what I saw. First off, yeah, our side definitely won the firefight, and the ATF guys breached the house and they cleared it all out. But I never saw them bring Kerwin's body out. Now, a buddy of mine, who since passed on, was on the SWAT team. And he swore blind that Kerwin locked himself up in a room inside the house. He shot through the door. They shot back, and then they breached the room. But he wasn't there. There was no one in there. It was an interior room. No windows, no other doors... No way down through the floor or up through the ceiling. He said all that was there was this dust. Dust? Yeah, like a thick gray dust. Like ash, he said. And it was everywhere. Like someone had burst a bag of the stuff right in the middle of the room. So what was the dust? Who knows? My buddy was told to file a report that said they breached the room, found Kerwin's body and took it away. Well, that's not what happened. Did he talk to anyone about this? No. He only told me a few years back, after he got diagnosed and knew his clock was ticking. But how it would be today, it was different back then. 
the feds tell you what to put in your report, that's what you write down. Unless you want to find yourself hauled up on some bullshit and busted out of the force with no pension. Okay, so... But that's not the strangest part. No? Once the house was secured, ATF sent their team down into the basement, and that's when they found the tunnels. So they send a handful of guys down into those tunnels to find anyone might be hiding down there. Now, I heard afterwards that every single one of the guys who went down there subsequently ended up getting discharged from the force on mental health grounds. Is that true? It's what I heard. What's true is that they sealed that house up for a while and no one was allowed in. Then the whole place was demolished and the tunnels were sealed up. And the people you processed? The people who got arrested? Kooks. Right. Like way beyond crazy. My guess, these guys were low level. Like new recruits. Because they're up top, okay? So they're either going to get shot or they're going to get busted. But really, they're just there to buy time for the more senior people to get into those tunnels and get out of there. So, had they been, like, brainwashed? Well, that would be outside my area of expertise. And they were each given a psyche evaluation, but no psychiatric report was ever filed. That's unusual, right? Oh, sure. But this whole thing, they put a lid on it and screwed it down tight. You have to understand... Something like this happens. Standard procedure is you launch an investigation into the cult itself. You figure out who might have been there by talking to neighbors, to the missing persons cops, because you want to know who got away. Because these people just shot at the cops, so they're still dangerous, right? You want to catch those guys. None of that happened. Those ATF guys came out of those tunnels. They told their boss whatever they saw down there, and the next thing, they're drawing a line under the whole business. Destroy the house, seal the tunnels, ship the ATF guys off to the nut house, wipe the slate. Never happened. Now, I talked with these people we arrested, and my opinion? I don't know what drugs they've been taking, or what they've been told by this Kerwin guy, but they were broken. Like insane. And I'm not talking about what they said, because really they didn't say much of anything. But the look in their eyes, it was like there was nothing going on back there. You've seen that photo of the guy in Vietnam with a thousand-yard stare? That famous picture? Sure. That's what these guys looked like. Like they didn't even know what planet they were on. Whoa. Well... Wow is right. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. There is. He wants to help. Who? The cop? The ex-cop. Retired. Ezra, yeah. Well, that's good, isn't it? It is. I'm worried Joseph Kerwin is a red herring. Oh, okay, but his connection to Barbara Sayers... I know, but even Barbara Sayers is... Charles Dexter Ward disappeared from a locked room. A year later, his doctor comes to England and murders someone. Are we getting away from that story yet? Oh, I don't think so. I think it's all relevant. I want to know more about what Ward was doing before Will it put him in the asylum. Sure, but if your retired cop can pull some strings. Yeah. I think I realised then that Kennedy's problem wasn't really with where the story was leading us. It was that we weren't controlling it sufficiently. And that was because I wasn't pulling my weight. 
That's not an easy thing to admit, and it's certainly not an easy thing to broadcast. But, okay, sidebar, as a lot of listeners probably know, I was a freelance columnist before I started Red Hook. We managed to get a little seed money together to make these podcasts, but because we don't want to host advertising, we rely on monthly donations from listeners to keep going. We've been ticking over fine, mostly, and we've even managed to pay some researchers to work on upcoming shows for us. But this particular story, the Charles Dexter Ward mystery, has involved Kennedy going out to America, and so that suddenly becomes an expensive thing. It's not to complain or anything, this is what we chose to do and we're making a good go of it but if you've been wondering as I think Kennedy had about was I pulling my weight in this investigation the answer was no and sitting in the cafe then I realised that the first priority has to be with the story now it's true that a lot of the source material so far was coming from America and so that was Kennedy's wheelhouse but we knew that because Willett came to London and murdered Lucy Hawthorne there must be a London angle so I put the admin on hold and headed out to try and keep my end of the investigative bargain. I've come to the London Library, which is not the ideal place to record audio, as they really don't like it. Okay, we talked last time about trying to work out if Lucy Hawthorne was a random victim choice for Dr Willett, or if there was a reason he targeted her. My documentary producer contact pointed out that Lucy was the granddaughter of Sir Godfrey Tillinghast, ex-cabinet secretary. He seemed to think this might be worth digging into, so I've come to look at the relevant issues of de Bretts to find out a little more about the Tillinghast family. OK. Godfrey Tillinghast. Here we go. His father was Lord Ambrose Tillinghast, of course he was. We weren't expecting to find evidence of a thriving meritocracy at work here. Godfrey married Caroline Hughes in 1962. Emma is born soon after. Oh, very soon after. Actually, suspiciously soon after. Maybe a shotgun wedding. Meteoric rise through the ranks of the civil service, though he was hardly starting from the ground floor. Looking back... Education, Winchester, Oxford, blah, blah, blah. Siblings. Okay. Godfrey has a sister called Eliza, three years younger. Okay. Where are you, Eliza? Okay. So you don't rate de Bretts, Eliza. Bad luck, old girl. Let's see if there's a, a computer. Ah. to Lord Ambrose Tillinghast and Lady Beatrice Tillinghast, blah, blah, blah. Rodine, finishing school in Geneva, I see. So, Caroline Hughes was a friend of yours from back then, and that's presumably how your brother hooked up with her. God, these people. Okay, then what? Where did you go? Did you die? Ah, no. You moved to America in 62. Uh-huh. He had a baby girl in 1963, roughly the same time as Emma Tillinghast was born. So you and Caroline got pregnant at the same time, both out of wedlock. But in your case, the father didn't do the decent thing. 
can't imagine that went down well. Did Lord Ambrose pay for your ticket out of England to spare the family the embarrassment? The baby is a little girl called Sarah, and then she in turn... Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ. got the connection. Uh, Matt, I'm just going through airport yeah, security. Yeah, I've got the connection. What? I don't know what you're... That Lucy Hawthorne's granddad was Sir Godfrey Tillinghast. Yeah, I'm just finishing off. Sir Godfrey had a sister called Eliza. She got pregnant out of wedlock in 1962 and she moved to America to have the baby. The baby was a girl called Sarah. Sarah Tillinghast. Okay. Are you with me? Uh, hold on a second. Uh, so fine. I'll step out of the line. Be standing here on my phone at security risk? I understand that, so I'll step out of the line. Kennedy! Asshole, sorry, yeah. Are you with me? Sarah Tillinghast. Godfrey's sister, Eliza, has a baby. Sarah, yes, get the point. Sarah Tillinghast, in 1991, in Providence, Rhode Island, marries Howard Philip Ward. What? Sarah Tillinghast was Charles Dexter Ward's mother. You are shitting me. So the connection... Lucy Hawthorne and Charles Dexter Ward. Second cousins. Willett didn't pick a random victim. He killed the last remaining person in the Tillinghast line. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.